Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Wednesday, January 25th. It was on this date in 2010 that Avatar became the highest-grossing film of all time. Do you remember which motion picture held that title before Avatar came along? I'll have that answer coming up. But first, let's head over to the Live 5 First Alert Weather Center for your Wednesday forecast. And good morning to you, meteorologist Joey Sovon here on a morning where you're stepping outside. Not nearly as chilly as the past couple of mornings as we warm up in advance of a cold front headed our way later today. That will bring in a slight chance of rain. More clouds this morning will be a breezy day with temperatures in the low to mid 70s. Rain chance will increase as the day wears on with the highest rain chance this afternoon, early this evening. Some gusty thunderstorms possibility as well. So don't be surprised if you hear one or two rumbles of thunder. We start to cool back down overnight. 43 tomorrow morning, 50 for highs with sunshine Thursday and Friday. Warm up a little bit into the 60s this weekend. Some sunshine Saturday with clouds late Sunday, producing maybe one or two showers by Sunday evening. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast, powered by the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. We're following some breaking news out of North Charleston where firefighters are on the scene of a structure fire. Right now, Molly McBride is live on Alpha Street near Park Circle. Molly, you just spoke with an official on scene. What can you tell us? Aisha, Nick, I'm on the scene right off Red Avenue near Park Circle. Officials on scene telling me they're investigating the cause of a reported house fire. As you can see behind me, North Charleston fire department still on scene. It's cleared out quite a bit now, but about 20 minutes ago, there were an upwards of seven or eight fire trucks here and an ambulance as well. Now the house is no longer on fire. However, there is still a dense smell of smoke in the air. Of course, we're working to find out what caused the fire and if any injuries were reported and we'll keep you updated as soon as possible. Reporting live in North Charleston, I'm Molly McBride, Live 5 News. The pool of hundreds and hundreds of potential jurors in Colleton County in the Alec Murdoch trial is thinning out each day. And now, after two days of jury selection, we're down to little more than 100 jurors left. Murdoch, he is on trial this week and in the coming weeks accused of murdering his wife and youngest son to hide millions of dollars he stole and swindled from his clients, law firm, and even his own friends and family. Live 5's Katie Kamen joins us from Colleton County Courthouse this morning. Morning, Katie. What will be happening on the third day of proceedings today? Good morning, guys. Well, we expect today to be the last day of jury selection, and we could even hear those opening statements as early as this afternoon. After two days of narrowing down that jury pool, 122 jurors will be coming back here to the courthouse a little bit before lunchtime for that final round of jury selection. Now, yesterday, during pre-trial motions, Judge Clifton Newman heard arguments from both the defense and the prosecution on what should be allowed to be included in the trial. He ultimately ruled on two issues, ballistics, testimony, and finances. He denied a request by the defense and is going to allow the prosecution's ballistics testimony. He denied a motion from the state involving financial crimes. Those crimes are, of course, a key piece of evidence for prosecutors who argue financial crimes make up the central motive for the murders. The judge essentially ruled how the state presented the motion. It's called a motion in limine. It's typically used to exclude evidence, not to add it. 
The judge says he was not prepared to grant a motion to admit that uh, admit evidence that way. The state agreed to introduce the evidence as needed. All other motions will be addressed as they come up during the trial, including the defense's request to throw out testimony for both of the state's blood spatter experts and the state's request to exclude polygraph evidence and third-party testimony. Now, if opening statements do begin this afternoon, we expect a bit of a show. We saw a glimpse of that yesterday during pretrial motions. His theory, and this is sort of, is, is that he knew the jig was up, so he went home and butchered, blew the head off his son, and butchered his wife, there's not one shred of evidence there was any problems between any of them. To understand why these are significant, the jury has to understand that he had been stealing for over a decade, 99 counts to date, and facing essentially life without parole on these particular financial accounts. And that's the significance of what he was trying to prevent from being exposed. Now, court is in recess until 11 a.m. this morning. Once those jurors return, they'll be whittled down to 18, 12 main jurors and six alternates. The goal is to have that done by the end of the day. Live in Colleton County, Katie Kamen, Live 5 News. All right, thanks, Katie. Well, meanwhile, a new filing from the defense is looking to block more testimony. This new filing alleges that the state believes Murdoch's connection to the 2019 boat crash that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach was a motive for killing his wife and youngest son. Murdoch's son, Paul, was allegedly behind the wheel of the boat when that deadly crash happened. The filing goes on to say the state wants the Beach family attorney to testify about how a judge might rule in that wrongful death case filed by Beach's family to show the jury why Murdoch might have murdered his family members. The defense says testimony regarding how a judge might rule in a separate case involving Murdoch is inadmissible. Judge Newman has not yet ruled on this motion. And speaking of Mallory Beach, nearly four years after a family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Murdoch and his family, a judge has approved a settlement agreement in the case dropping the estate of Murdoch's wife and his surviving son from that suit. Now, the case relates to the death of 19-year-old Mallory Beach, who was killed in a crash after Murdoch's youngest son, an underage and allegedly intoxicated Paul Murdoch, reportedly crashed the boat. The Beach family attorney, Mark Tinsley, says Judge Daniel Hall approved a settlement agreement yesterday that drops Buster Murdoch and the estate of Maggie Murdoch. After years of litigation involving Maggie's estate, the Beach family attorney says the estate has accrued approximately $290,000 in attorney's fees and dismissing it from that lawsuit would ensure there's money left over for clients. Well, Charleston City Council is expected to sign a resolution supporting the proposed construction of the I-526 expansion. Councilmember Carl Brady says that extension would give people a third way on and off the island and help during any potential future evacuations of Johns Island due to hurricanes or natural disasters. Now, the price of the full extension would run from West Ashley through Johns Island before connecting with the James Island connector and would cost more than $2 billion. Brady says the parkway-style extension would also feature dedicated bicycle and pedestrian paths that would run alongside the interstate. Now, the Charleston County Council is also trying to hear a presentation on that extension this week. It's set to start tomorrow at 5 p.m. 
The city of Charleston has implemented an alternative payment method for parking meters along downtown streets. The smart card parking program eliminates the need to carry coins to pay meters and allows uh, any leftover time on a parking meter to be refunded, making the hassle of on-street parking just a little bit easier and a little more economical. In order to take advantage of the benefits, you must purchase a smart card from the city with a one-time charge of $5, but then it functions like a gift card for the Charleston's, for Charleston's parking meters. To learn more about the smart, park, smart card program, head over to live5news.com and click on the big red box. Today, Governor Henry McMaster is set to deliver his 2023 State of the State Address. He's going to deliver that speech at 7 p.m. from the House Chamber in the State House. You can watch that event on SCETV. Legislation that restricts what can and cannot be taught in South Carolina schools has advanced at the State House. It's called the South Carolina Transparency and Integrity in Education Act. Now, the bill would ban concepts including teaching one race, sex, ethnicity, color, or national origin is superior to another, and that people are responsible for other actions committed in the past by members of their same race or sex. It would also prohibit students and school staff from being required to participate in mandatory gender or or sexual uh, diversity training or counseling. Last year, House members heard nearly 20 hours of testimony on a similar education bill, which failed to get to the governor's desk. Lawmakers have reintroduced the bill, and most people who testified about it said they're against it. They're vague and leave educators uncertain of what they can do in their classrooms, in their libraries. Educators are trained for this, and this bill does not protect them. How far will this go? Where do we stop? We passed this bill today. What's next? The bill states it does not ban the fact-based discussion or instruction of controversial aspects of history or about the historical oppression of particular groups of people based on race, ethnicity, religion, etc. It also extensively outlines the complaint process if someone believes a school is in violation. Tonight, volunteers will embark on this year's point-in-time count, which is an annual count of people experiencing homelessness on a single night. Officials say the count helps them provide specific and targeted assistance to people experiencing homelessness in our community. Molly McBride, she joins us live with more information about that count and why it's so important. Molly? Yeah, good morning. I spoke to Heather Carver, the program coordinator of the Low Country Continuum of Care, which is a network of providers that work to combat homelessness in our community. Carver tells me tonight volunteers will spread across seven counties to complete surveys with people sleeping outside from around 5 p.m. to midnight. The web-based survey asks questions about how long people have been sleeping outside, if they've ever had housing before, if they're veterans, and more. Carver says this information is valuable because it reveals trends in the homeless community and helps them understand what funding they should apply for. For example, people who've been sleeping outside for one year or longer may need permanent supportive housing. Or if the count shows a high number of veterans experiencing homelessness, they may need to apply for more funding for veterans. She says while it's important to use federal funds in a way that makes sense in our community, it's also important to engage and understand the individuals experiencing homelessness themselves. It gives people an opportunity to share their voice of what is happening to them sleeping outside. 
Carver says volunteers will also be passing out gift bags with food and hygiene items, and those donations are accepted year-round. Reporting live, I'm Molly McBride, Live 5 News. Well, veterans make up a portion of those experiencing homelessness. Last year, Charleston Services provided more than 400 permanent housing placements to homeless veterans. Nationally, the total number of veterans who experienced homelessness on a single night in January of 2022 was more than 30,000 people across the country. Right here in Charleston, the Ralph H. Johnson Medical Center worked hard to be a part of the solution. Officials with the VA say the point-in-time count numbers and demographics will help guide how organizations design their services in the coming year. Election season is still months away, but some people who live in North Charleston say they don't want to wait until they have a ballot in front of them to make their voice heard. At a city council public hearing last night, folks say they're not happy with the city's first redistricting draft. Anna Harris attended the hearing and has details on the community's biggest concerns. Some say that based on the drafted district lines, that some minority members' concerns might be overlooked once they are joined with larger white communities, among other concerns. City officials say that redistricting is done every decade or so, so a lot of challenges are still up ahead. The first draft of the city's redistricting map groups together parts of District 7 and 8. Officials say Liberty Hill, one of the oldest black communities in North Charleston that's currently in District 7, would move to District 8. It would also connect with part of District 5, which includes Park Circle. Mayor Keith Summy says it's a declining population neighborhood, and the area surrounding it, Park Circle in particularly, has completely almost doubled in population in the last 15 years. Additionally, many people who live in Northwood Estates in the Deer Park community in District 3 tell me they're worried they will be forgotten about. Rivers Avenue and Green Ridge Road, the main roads connecting their communities, will no longer be in their district if this draft is approved. Council says they hope to have another draft to go over within the next 10 days. They say they are keeping community concerns in mind. Come, make your voices heard. This, this, this is not over, it's just getting started. Um, we need your input. Um, if you're solid, that means you give consent. Um, so this is the time to speak if you have any concerns about this uh, redistricting process. City Council says they will have their next meeting this Thursday at 7. Mayor Keith Summey says that they hope to have a final draft of this redistricting map by the end of March. In North Charleston, Anna Harris, Live 5 News. We started off the show talking about Avatar, which took the title of the highest grossing film of all time. The movie it sank, pardon the expression, was 1997's Titanic. Both films, incidentally, were directed written and co-produced by James Cameron. One more historic note, on this date in 1915, America's first transcontinental telephone call took place. Alexander Graham Bell picked up his newly invented telephone in New York and spoke to his former assistant, Thomas Watson, who was all the way in San Francisco. We've had a love-hate relationship with telephones ever since. Celebrating birthdays today, country singer Claude Gray turns 91, actress Jennifer Lewis is 66, and singer Alicia Keys turns 43. Thank you again for joining us for Morning Y'all from Live 5 News. I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Morning Y'all, produced every weekday morning. You can listen and subscribe at live5news.com slash podcast. And download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device 
Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.